First Chronicles 13 is where we're looking today. We've got a little bit of a reading here, and then we're going to turn to 2 Samuel 6. 1 Chronicles 13. Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader, and David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel and with them to the priests and Levites who are in their cities and in their common lands that they may gather together to us and let us bring the ark of our God back to us for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so for the thing was right in the eyes of the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor in Egypt to as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kirjath Jerum and David and all Israel went up to Bala to Kirjath Jerum which belonged to Judah to bring up from there the ark of the Lord who dwells between the cherubim where his name is proclaimed so they carried the ark of God on a new uh, new cart from the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart Then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets. And when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, saying, How can I bring the ark of God to me? So David would not move the ark with him into the city of David, but took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. 2 Samuel 6, 12. Now it was told King David saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Some people ask why we get exuberant with our praise in church. And I just want to tell you, David was more exuberant than any of us have been today with a lesser covenant, with lesser blessing. And I just want to tell you, In light of the cross of Jesus Christ, how can I do any less? They were playing music, they were singing, they were shouting, and they were dancing. David was dancing with all of his might while wearing a linen ephod. We'll talk more about that. I'd like to preach the second installment in our series, Welcome Home Worshiper. And I want to say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your goodness. I pray that you would anoint me. Let the words of my mouth the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God. I pray that you would have your way and be lifted up today and do something awesome in some people's lives. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen.
God bless you. You may be seated. Samuel had anointed David to be the next king of Israel. But for almost two decades after that, Saul remained on the throne. At the time of our reading, David had just assumed the throne. And we tend to miss the fact, especially if you grew up around church and listening to messages about David, we tend to miss the fact that David inherited a, an awful situation. We kind of see David as killing Goliath, and then he was on easy street, a national hero who had it made. But the truth is, he killed Goliath, and then King Saul became very jealous of David. He was hateful, he was vindictive, and every time David turned around, Saul was trying to kill David. Saul had lost his focus, he had lost his walk with God. He had lost his grip on reality. He had consulted with a witch. He had had 85 priests of the Most High God slaughtered. He was killing his own people. Saul, that is. In the city of Nod, in a paranoid frenzy, he killed every man, woman, and child. These are Jews that he killed. The Bible is very explicit and says that he killed every nursing infant in that city. This is a man who had lost his way. Saul was driving the kingdom into the ground. Israel was on the brink of collapse. There was devastation. There was division in the land. It was a dark, dark time. This is the kingdom that David was to inherit. Not only had Israel had to deal with an enemy within, that is King Saul, but they had to deal with enemies without the Philistines, the Amalekites, and others. They were ravaging Israel. David alludes to the enormous number of casualties, especially among the leaders of Israel, when he says in 1 Chronicles 13, 2, let us send out to all our brothers who are left. In other words... We've lost so many. Who's left? Let's try to get them to join us here at Kirjath Jerem. Tragically, not long before our reading, Jonathan, Saul's son, the prince, and David's best friend had been killed in a battle, and Saul himself had committed suicide. It was a tragedy. What it, David and all the house of Israel needed was a fresh start. I mean, a new beginning. And that fresh start in David's mind would start by moving the capital of the kingdom from Shiloh to a city that he had recently captured called Jerusalem. Now, as a shepherd boy, just a few miles outside of Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Bethlehem are only about five miles away, and in those fields in between, David would tend to his flocks. I believe God put a dream in David's heart. He saw that city as something special. He wrote about it often. He called it Zion. David knew God had his hand on his life, and there was some, something special about Jerusalem. That would be the place where he would fulfill his destiny. And in our story, David was filled with expectation and anticipation. He knew it was time for him to step into the calling that God had for his life. 
and he was standing on the precipice of this new season, this fresh start, this new beginning of the blessing and favor of God. David was ready to leave the darkness behind him and embrace this bright future ahead of him. And to make the move complete, David needed to get the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem. Now, the Ark is an interesting thing. It's only about two and a half by two and a half by three feet. It's made of acacia wood overladen with gold. Inside of this little chest, this little box, was Aaron's rod that had budded, a pot of manna, the stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments on them. The Ark of the Covenant was the Ark of the Covenant. It represented the presence of God, the promises of God, the protection of God, the power of God, the provision of God. If God is on our side, then who can be against us? That kind of stuff. The blessing and favor of God, all of which David needed for his bright future. The ark had an interesting history. Some four centuries earlier, God had given Moses the plans for it. Years later, under the absolute abysmal leadership of Eli, The ark had been stolen by the Philistines at the Battle of Ebenezer. You probably remember that. The ark made its way into three Philistine cities, Ashdod, Gath, and Ekron. It was too hot to handle for the Philistines. Everywhere the ark went, mayhem followed. Their national temple with Dagon had been desecrated when the ark was placed in there. And to top it all off, everywhere it went, the Philistines were horribly afflicted with what the King James calls, the King James calls them emeralds. The New King James calls them tumors. Other translations kind of call it like it is. They were hemorrhoids. Is that crazy or what? And so everywhere the Ark of the Covenant went, the Philistines had problems. You know what I mean? Seven months of shuffling the Ark around was all they could take. So the Philistines were saying, get this thing out of here. Let's send it back. So they built a new cart, hitched some milk cows to it, gave them a slap, sent them lowing and carrying the ark back into Israel. It got to Beth Shemash where it was mishandled. Things happened. It ended up parked at the house of Abinadab for years, especially during the darkest days of Saul's reign. And Saul never sought for the ark. He had lost his way. Now, in our reading, David gets the remaining elders of Israel together, and he says, guys, I think it's time for us to fetch the ark. It's time for a new day, for a new beginning. What do you think? They said, absolutely. Let's grab it. Let's get it. They got all excited. This was prophetic, man. This was the right time, the right place. It was exciting. The future was very, very bright. Are you with me? And so David sent for the ark. And just like the Philistines, he built a new cart. He got some cows and began transporting it to Jerusalem with a lot of fanfare, music, and praise, and worship. It was very, very exciting. It was only a few miles away. He didn't have to go very far. And on the way, they came to a threshing floor. We read it in the the reading today. And, And at that threshing floor, the cows stumbled and, and there were a couple of young men, Ahio and Uzzah. And Uzzah reached out and tried to steady the ark to keep it from falling. It was a good idea, he thought. And immediately he was smitten and he died. The Lord killed Uzzah that day. And 
the party, as you can imagine, was over. David was moving into his destiny, but all of that came to a screeching halt. Now, I'm going to try to give you some application. I got a word for somebody today. It's going to help somebody. I'm telling you, God's been awakening some of you, awakening you to some dreams that he placed in you many years ago. I mean, maybe when you were a child in Sunday school, maybe when your parents prayed over you, God's awakening you to some possibilities. You've been moving out of some dark places and into his marvelous light. You said things like, I've got to have God back in my life, and you've made moves in that direction, and you know that he's come back, and you're connected again, and you're making progress You've seen the possibility of living a life that is filled with his presence and his promises, protection, power, provision, his blessings, and favor. You've gone for it. You've seized this opportunity. Some, under the sound of my voice today, you have in, in recent months, perhaps years, you've recently turned to the Lord. You've been water baptized. You've been filled with the Holy Ghost. Some of you have begun to embrace a lifestyle of generosity, giving. You've embraced a lifestyle of praying. I mean, you go to First Monday Prayer, you're praying in the prayer room, uh, which is the sanctuary here at LifePoint. You've started going to church on a regular basis. You've you've put some disciplines in your life. There's some things you do, some things you don't do, and and you're, you're making progress. But like David, I'm telling you, I've got a word for somebody. You hit a bump in the road, you stumbled, you fumbled, you had a setback that you just can't seem to explain. And you're wondering to yourself, have I missed this opportunity? Have I blown this opportunity? I had a moment again, and I'm wondering to myself, did I lose my chance? Is this fresh start, was it just a false start? And you've asked yourself, am I doomed to live in the darkness that I just thought I came out of before I discovered this hope? Am I doomed to go back there? I've got a word for you today. You need to learn a lesson from David. That threshing floor where the stumble took place, a threshing floor is a place where the wheat is separated from the chaff. It's where the good is separated from the bad. And David took the stumble at the threshing floor and turned it into an opportunity to examine himself once again, to re-examine himself, to check himself. And he discovered some negative behaviors in his life. David had adopted some thinking, some patterns of thought and behaviors from the Philistines. They're the ones that used a cart and some cows to transport the Ark of the Covenant. And without even realizing it, David had taken those ideas and tried to bring them over into his fresh start and into his destiny. That was a problem. But rather than quit, this is what I love about King David. David used that stumble at the threshing floor where wheat was separated from chaff, and he used it to separate his own wheat from the chaff. He took that stumble at the threshing floor and used it as an opportunity to separate the negative behaviors of his past from the 
uh, positive possibilities of his future. And David moved on. Everybody say move on. Say it again, move on. David moved on. The problem was not God. The problem was not Uzzah. The problem was David. First Chronicles 15, 13, it says that David did not consult with the word of God on how to transport the ark. It was supposed to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. It was proper protocol. Listen, you see pictures of this all the time where if you, if you Google it or if you've ever studied or been in Sunday school and seen the Ark of the Covenant being moved by the priest, they put that Ark on those staves and those priests carried it. But that's really not an accurate picture because you would not even have seen the Ark. You would have seen the staves. You would have seen something, but it would have been covered up by two cloths, by a, 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 by a, a, by a blue one, by a, a badger skin one, uh, it was two or three cloths. It would have been covered up. You wouldn't have seen it. David had not properly transported the ark. He got his thinking from the Philistines. So here's the deal. He couldn't blame God. He couldn't blame others. Let me just encourage you. If you've stumbled, quit pointing the finger at somebody else. Quit pointing your finger at God. Examine yourself and say, oh God, listen, I need some help. You can't control anybody else. You can't control their behavior, but you can get a hold of yourself. Get on up. Get back in the word. Get back on faith. Get to moving. Move into your destiny. God's got a bright future for you today. I'm telling you, don't let us stumble. Stop you. Come on, give him some praise right now. David had to move on. Somebody say, move on. David was determined to not stop. But he did pause. And he took a moment and reconsidered. But then he moved on. Now, when he did start moving again with those priests carrying that ark, this time, every six steps, he offered sacrifice and praise and worship to the living God. Now, he could have been traveling as far as five miles. That's 26,400 feet. If you take three feet per step, in real estate, Phyllis, you know, back, back in the day, before you had your, your phone, you just hold it up to a wall and it would tell you how far away it was. Before those days... We had tape measures, but I'm a man. I mean, tape measures, whatever. I can guesstimate things. I have man senses, right? I have abilities. I can eyeball it. And if that's a problem, if it's a little bit too far, I can walk it off. And I know that this is about three feet. And I, I walked off many a room and many a yard and, 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 and many a building guesstimating some square footage. And so if you estimate about three feet for a step, that means that every 18 feet, David would stop, offer sacrifice, and worship to the living God. That means on that short five-mile journey, they would have offered up 1,466 sacrifices of praise and worship to God. David dancing and spinning because 
he was determined, okay, I am not going to let this stumble and this mistake stop me from praising and worshiping God. I'm going to tell you, one of the greatest things the enemy ever does is he loads us down with condemnation because we missed it. And we stop praising and worshiping God. I've told some of you this story before. A husband and a wife, they were angry at each other on the way to church. I know that's never happened to any of you. But on the way to church, they got in a big fight. They're arguing, griping. They're so mad at each other. And they walk in the house of God. The music fires up. The wife is sitting there fuming. The man goes nuts. Woo, hallelujah. He's like offering the sacrifice of praise. Man, worshiping the Lord. And, and, and the wife is getting madder and madder and madder at this guy. She looks at him. She says, what is wrong with you? He said, honey, I'm not mad at God. I'm mad at you. <laughs> you know, Ain't nothing wrong with God. And so he's offering praise. Listen, the enemy gets us stopped in our tracks with condemnation. I failed. I messed up. I stumbled. I lost my way. And we back off of our praise and worship. David learned a lesson. Hey, I may have fallen. I may have messed up, but that has nothing to do with the goodness of my God. I'm going to give him praise, not based on my behavior and my performance, but because of what he's done. That was on a lesser covenant. Light point, listen to me. If you'll learn how to praise God through the stumbles, God will do more for you than you can possibly imagine. Can you give him some praise right now? You're like, man, I sinned. You don't understand, Donovan. You don't know how far I've fallen. You know what, don't know what I did this weekend. You know, Listen, I don't have to know, but I know what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago on a cross. I know about an empty tomb that was all about you. Give him praise for that. Hallelujah. Come on, can you do it right now? Thank you, Jesus. I've been around... I've been around. I don't want to tell you my own stories because I'm afraid I might tell you too much. But I know how I've worshipped the Lord through some of my failures and some of my faults. But I've also seen some of LifePoint's finest in some of the darkest times and seasons of their lives. Some of their failures, some of their faults, how they would drop to their knees and lift their hands and say, you are worthy, O Lord. I'm going to tell you, there is a strength that is released. There is a power. You will step into your destiny if you'll learn how to worship God on a regular basis, every six paces. No matter how long ago you fell or how short of a period of time that was, if you'll just give Him praise, there is favor and blessing coming your way. Hallelujah. It's fascinating to me. I, I, I'm going back to a story in my mind. I'll never forget it. In, in the, like the first service of LifePoint, in our living room, a young man named Devin, not our Devin, but another young man named Devin came in, and in the middle of the worship, you can't imagine the problems this young man had. And even afterwards, the problems this young man had, but in the, with a guitar in a living room with seven of us, he began to lift his hands and praise the name of the Lord. And God filled him with the Holy Ghost. He dropped to his knees crying and weeping under the power of the presence of God. What did that? Not a young man that had it all together, but a young man, listen, who had begun to magnify the Lord bigger than his own problems. 
That's one of the issues we have. We tend to magnify the problem. Get your eyes off the problem. Get your eyes on Jesus. He's so much bigger than yourself, your problems, your failures. David said it. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. He is worthy of our praise, regardless if we are worthy to offer it or not. He remains. We looked at it Wednesday night. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Just put your eyes back on the Lord. Get back in the game. Listen, the devil tries to cut some of us out. Let me pastor you for a moment. The devil will try to cut some of us out. We'll, We'll disengage from the body of Christ, disengage from the church, disengage from involvement and stuff. Because we just, we've, we've got darkness in our past. We've had some failures in our past. Some other people have made some mistakes that have affected us in our past. And we back off and listen, you can give God praise with your, lifting your hands and lifting your voice. But you can also give God praise by reconnecting with the body. Getting involved in the community and watching what God does through you. David got 30,000 leaders together after the fail. And they begin to walk, and every six paces they stopped, and they lifted up praise and worship. Everybody was doing their part, and God was glorified. Hallelujah. Amen. I remember, it's amazing to me, Saul was a madman. I gave you some of the story with Saul. Amazing how crazy he had gone. He had driven the kingdom into the ground. And yet Saul's daughter accused David, who was spinning and dancing before the Ark of the Covenant. She accused him of being a madman. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? What was wrong with your daddy, girl? He about wiped us all out. But those days are behind us, honey. And I'm going to start praising and worshiping him, not based on my past, but I'm going to start worshiping him based on my future. I want to challenge you today. What if the past really could be the past? What if God really is giving you a fresh start and a new beginning? What if your future really is bright? What if God really is going to come through on that promotion or if he's going to come through on that spouse or he's going to come through on those lost children those babies being saved what if he really is going to come through in your life on that healing in your world what if he really is how would you praise him then that's the way David was looking that past is behind me but there's a fresh start up here and I'm going to give God praise because he's my provider my healer he's my supplier of all my needs come on give him some praise can you do it right now thank you Jesus Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody go, yes. Somebody go, hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands to him right now. Give him a shout of praise. You're so worthy, Jesus. You're so worthy, Jesus. Hallelujah. I tell you, when you start magnifying the Lord above your problems, it's amazing what it does to the enemy. And one of the enemies is religion that we face. I'll never forget, I was hired as an Episcopal worship leader. Now, I was not Episcopal, but the Episcopalians hired me. I was a Pentecostal church planner. They hired me. 
to do their contemporary service. And I was instructed, whatever you do, young man, do not encourage the people to raise their hands or clap their hands or be demonstrative in their worship. I said, all right, you know, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Wallace, like, I'm going to do my best. I'm not going to encourage them. Now, I'm not going to guarantee that they're not going to raise their hands, but it ain't my fault. And so they hired me, man. They put me on staff. They paid me good money. I'd go there and I'd do my thing. I'll never forget. And they put the band behind the audience. I, there was no way I could lead them to lift their hands unless I said, hey, everybody, lift your hands, which I didn't do. So I'm in the very back. They don't even see me. And we're singing these praise and worship courses. Hey, but God is bigger than religion. God is bigger than the restrictions of man. And they, they tried to put a cap on that thing. But as the praises of Jesus went forth, those wonderful people be, begin to raise their hands and cry. And I'm like, they're going to fire me. They're going to fire me. I was like nervous about it. But they lift their hands and I just, it would enthuse me. I would get excited. I would sing even louder. And they would lift their hands and begin to praise and worship God. And I saw God do amazing things in the Episcopal Church in Bel Air, Maryland because you can't stop God from flowing. He inhabits the praises of His people and when you're facing those dark times magnify the Lord don't magnify the problem and watch what God will do hallelujah won't you stand with me right now magnify the Lord and watch what God will do I've seen this happen time and time again over cultural cultural barriers over over religious barriers and family barriers. I've seen people resist and and try to stop a flow of God's Spirit. But when God's people, listen, David, David is every six paces, 1,466 times, he's offering sacrifices and praising. And when they finally pull into Jerusalem, he had to be worn out. But he got so excited, he was spinning. He took off his royal robes. And that's what offended his wife. My father was a king. You're, I'm married to the king, and you look, you look like a fool today. No, honey, your father was a fool because he kept his kingly robes on, and he was arrogant and proud, and he drove the kingdom to the ground. He got all that his flesh could get, and it was an absolute disaster. But I'm going to do things different. This, I'm the same shepherd boy that the Lord empowered to kill a giant. And I'm not too big for my britches. That's what my grandma used to say. Don't you get too big for your britches, boy. I, David was saying, I am, I'm going to keep this ego in check. I'm going to bow the knee. I'm going to throw my crown at his feet. I'm going to magnify the Lord, not my abilities. He is worthy. And the amazing things that happened. Listen, it was a bright future. As long as David walked faithful in that covenant, we have no record that he ever lost one man in battle he never lost one battle think about it what if you knew you would win every battle how would you praise God what if you knew you would overcome every time those are the kinds of outrageous promises our God makes if God is for us tell me who can be against us what can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus he goes through this litany of things nothing can separate us 
You ask me why I spin and dance and shout and go crazy and lift my hands. It's because he's promised me things that are just, he's better to me than I've been to myself. He's better to me than I deserve. That's why I give him praise. I don't deserve nothing. He's given me all of heaven and everything that goes with it. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. And his praise will continually be in my mouth. It's not because of me. It's because of him. So when David comes into the city of Jerusalem, Michael is saying, you're a fool. You know what God was saying? Welcome home, worshiper. Welcome home, worshiper. You're right where you need to be. This is the right time. You're right where you belong. I'm telling you, God has got a word for somebody today. You are welcome home. You may have stumbled. You may have fumbled. You may have messed up. Just stop for a second, re-examine, get back in faith, and move on. Get in the game. Welcome home, worshiper. Welcome back to the game, worshiper. You're welcome at this table. This is where you belong. Can you close your eyes with me right now? Just bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much, God, that you have been so faithful, so good to us, God. We don't deserve anything you've done, and yet you've done so much. God, we want to give you praise. We're careful to give you the praise that you deserve, the worship that you deserve. Some of us have come from some dark places, but we're in the marvelous light. We may have stumbled, but devil, you're a liar. I'm not going back to those places. I've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. This is a new day. I'm going to give God all my praise and all my worship. I'm going to do it in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you would touch that you would move, that you would convict, that you would draw.